listening. What an amazing time in worship. Powerful presence of God. All right, are we ready for the word? Okay, let's pray. Let's pray and prepare our hearts. Father, we thank you, Lord, uh, that once again we are gathered around your word, Father. We hunger for it, we desire it, we hunger and we thirst, Father, for the truth of your word. So, Lord, come and speak to us. Let the word of God open up our understanding, grant us wisdom, Lord, and uh, help us to see what it is that you're saying to us and help us to hear what it is that you're speaking into our hearts. Father, I pray for the anointing, Lord, to be on me as I speak. And Lord, I just uh, ask that you would anoint the, the ears of every hearer here today, Lord, and let your word be at work. Father, it is living and it is active and it is powerful. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, we are still on taking back Pentecost. This is our 15th week. Can you believe it? Isn't that incredible? 15 weeks. I can tell you now there are many more to come, but we'll split it up. We'll spread it over the next year. But there's so much to say about the anointing and the presence of God because it's the, the power of God and the presence of God in our midst. And so at the moment, though, we're talking about the corporate anointing. And we're talking about what that looks like as we gather together as people because when we get together as a church, things begin to happen, don't they? Like that's what we should be expecting, that things are going to happen. And we do see things happen, sometimes more than what we think and what, what we expect, more so than other times. And, uh, but God is always at work in us. And so when we gather together, it's powerful. And, we, and you know what like we've said over the last few weeks? Even if there's just two or three gathered together, He's there in the midst of us. So he's already given us that promise and given us that guarantee that he's hearing our prayers, that he's stirring our hearts, that he's, he's, uh, he's there right with us and he's there to help us. And to, he hears everything we have to say. In fact, the Bible says he already knows what we're going to ask even before we ask. Isn't that amazing? He knows the number of hairs on our heads. He knows what we're going to ask before we ask. And yet when we gather together, something pleases him about us requesting and opening our mouths and asking him. And so we're continuing on today about another aspect of the corporate anointing. But first of all, let's open up our Bibles to 1 Chronicles 22. 1 Chronicles 22, and we're going to read quite a long passage of Scripture today, but it's a, it's a very powerful one. 1 Chronicles 22, starting at verse 5. David said, My son Solomon is young and inexperienced. And the house that is to be built for the Lord shall be exceedingly magnificent, famous and glorious throughout all lands. Therefore, now I will make preparation for it. So David made ample preparations before his death. Then he called for his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. David said to Solomon, my son, I had intended to build a house to the name of the Lord my God, but the word of the Lord came to me saying, you have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name because you have shed so much blood on the earth before me. Behold, a son will be born to you who shall be a man of rest and I will give him rest from all his enemies on every side for his name shall be Solomon and I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name and he shall be my son and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now, my son, verse 11, the Lord be with you that you may be successful and build the house of the Lord your God just as he has spoken concerning you. 
Only the Lord give you discretion and understanding and give you charge over Israel so that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will prosper if you are careful to observe the statutes and the ordinances which the Lord commanded Moses concerning Israel. Be strong and be courageous. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Now behold, with great pains, I have prepared for the house of the Lord 100,000 talents of gold and 1 million talents of silver and bronze and iron beyond weight. For they are in great quantity. Also timber and stone I have prepared. And you may add to them. Wow, what a dad. He's going all out to prepare the way for his son and, and prepare what God wants to do through his son. Verse 15, moreover, there are many workmen with you, stone cutters and masons of stone and carpenters and all men who are skillful in every kind of work. Of the gold, the silver and the bronze and the iron, there is no limit. Wow. Hey, board members, how awesome would it be if we had no limit to building an actual physical house? <laughs> and then he goes on to say, arise and work and may the Lord be with you. I love that. David also commanded all the leaders of Israel to help his son Solomon, saying, Is not the Lord your God with you? And has he not given you rest on every side? For he has given the inhabitants of the land into my hand, and the land is subdued before the Lord and before his people. Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Arise, therefore, and build the sanctuary of the Lord, so that you may bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the holy vessels of God into the house that is to be built for the name of the Lord. This is an incredible passage of Scripture. You know, and it's really significant that he says in verse 18, For he has given the inhabitants of the land into my hand, and the land is subdued before the Lord and before his people. And then he says, Now set your heart. So David was an incredible man of the Spirit. He knew and was sensitive to what God wanted. He recognized the season. He recognized the time. He recognized that now that we've just conquered, there's peace in the land. Now it's time for this next generation to take hold and to begin to build the, the house of God. It's an incredible aspect here when you see the heart of King David, uh, not just as a, as a, as a you know, we, we know him as a, as a minstrel, as a, as a worshiper and all that, but an incredible king and an, an incredible authority figure who's prepared now and preparing the next generation to receive. And uh, he's giving everything, he's backing everything up with all his wisdom, all his knowledge, all his, all his skills, all his, uh, all his contacts, all the builders and all the people that he already knows, he's gathering it all. Not only that, he's giving them the people, the leaders and asking them to help. So he's providing everything for this house to be built in power. And you know what, when we look throughout the history of the Word of God, we always see that God uses different structures to house his presence through the ages. You can see that. It was Moses' tabernacle, which we've talked a little bit about, about David's tabernacle. Solomon's temple, we can read about it here. We talked about it a bit last week. But now, of course, it's the church. We are now his house. Collectively, we are the temple of God, ready to be taken over by the presence of God, or here ready as his vessels. And I feel like, and I know I've said this before, but I feel like somehow the church worldwide, the real church, and when I say the real church, that doesn't, it doesn't matter about name or denomination. It, we're talking about the true believers. When God looks down, he just sees one church, remember? He just says, his, he sees his people. He sees his bride. 
And when he looks down, I really believe that the church universal is actually kind of poised for this next decade. That something is brewing. And I believe we're, we're positioned for the greatest time in the history of the church. And I feel like there's a new commissioning that is happening right now. You know, whenever there's, there's the darkness, in fact, the more the darkness increases around us, and I think we can see that, the more the light of the church will shine. That's just the way it's going to be. Jesus said that. And so we're going to see great light come out of whoever is the church that Jesus raises up. We're going to see. We're going to see the power of God. We're going to see the glory of God. God never really needed big numbers in the past. He started with 12 disciples. Then he lost one. You know, like, he, he doesn't need anything. He just needs good hearts and good soil for the word of God to fall on. And so I feel like there's a new commissioning that is taking place. And I would not be surprised at all if pastors all around the world are preaching this kind of stuff at the moment. Those who are really sensitive to the voice of God and who are part of the, the church of Jesus Christ, I believe that they'll be preaching into this next generation and releasing and preparing people. You know, I mentioned last year that uh, Brahm and I are now in our 40th year of uh, being saved. We got saved in, in 1979. It's also 40 years since Brahm arrived in Australia. Uh, that'll be next week, on the 15th, actually. He, it'll be exactly 40 years. We've almost been married for 40 years. And like I said last week, the number 40 is an interesting number in the Word of God because it's actually a number of testing. It's also a number of probation. And, uh, you know, you can see that even in the Old Testament, Moses had to leave Egypt and go into the wilderness um, for 40 years till he returned to lead the people of God out of the hand of, of, of uh, Pharaoh. And then, of course, it was another 40 years because he had to walk around the wilderness with all those rebellious people before he was actually able to hand over the leadership to Joshua. And so we see that 40 is actually a, a number of testing, it's a number of probation. Well, I kind of feel like our Brahms and my probation is up. And uh, it has 40 years it's on a lot of levels, which is quite intriguing for me. And, you know, it's also, like I said last week, it's quite interesting that we're wanting to lay hands and we're talking about the anointing and the generational uh, handing over at this particular season. This didn't actually occur to me until last week, like I said. But we had prophecies right from the very beginning that, that everything that we desire God to see that God do on the earth, it won't actually happen through our ministry alone. It will happen through our children and our spiritual children. And so that's why, you know, we're really preparing ourselves to pass on the baton. We need to pass on the baton to an entire generation. And when I read this scripture yesterday, uh, it's awesome. So it says, therefore, David said, therefore, now I will make preparation for it. So David made ample preparations before his death. Now, we're not planning on dying anytime soon, but there, <laughs> but there definitely is a sense of handing over. There definitely is a sense that now is the time to raise up and release and bring people up into the calling and the gifting and the strength that God has got upon their lives. He actually said, you are all, he said, you are young and, and inexperienced. And I love that because I could say the same thing to you guys. Many of you here are young and inexperienced. And it says, And the house that is to be built for the Lord shall be exceedingly magnificent, famous and glorious throughout all the lands. Therefore now we, Brahm and I, are making preparation for it. So we are making ample preparations before our deaths. That sounds so morbid. <laughs> hey, we're, we, we've told God we want to be here for at least another 25, 30 years. 
But I believe you've got to be sensitive. As leaders, you've got to be sensitive to the changing of the seasons and the, and the shifting of the times. And I know the anointing of God is being released right now in these last few years, there's a, and it's going to happen over these next couple of years, where there's going to be some changes, even in, in your hearts. You're going to find yourself wanting God and, and desiring God and seeking after God in a way that you never have before. Because God is the one who anoints. God is the one who calls. God is the one who does everything that is needed to, to, to actually build his house and to build his church. It doesn't really matter whether any of us are young and inexperienced. It doesn't actually really matter. Brahm and I were young and very inexperienced when we started in ministry 40 years ago. We knew nothing. We had only been saved probably one or two years and God literally threw us onto a national platform through TV. And we were being invited to all these large churches that, that ended up spawning, you know, big churches in Adelaide, big churches in Melbourne, big churches in, in Sydney. And we didn't know who any of those people were at the time. And yet God put us on those national stages and those places purely because we were worshippers. And we were extremely young. I was 21, 22. Brian was 24 or 25. We were young and exceedingly inexperienced. But it didn't really matter because God was looking for the heart. And he knows how to journey us. And he knows how to use the, the generation before us to impart to us and to prepare the house that needs to be built. And I love that David had that heart. The King David had the heart saying, you know, I, I recognize that, that I always wanted to build a house for God, a temple for God, but God told me that I wasn't going to be able to because there was too much blood shed through me, but there's going to be someone else. He wasn't insecure. He didn't get all, you know, feel entitled about it. He didn't get jealous of his son. What, what sort of idiotic father would he be if he got jealous of his son? No parent does that. Every parent wants their children to be bigger and better than them and to do bigger and better than them. And Brahma and I want to see every one of our children and our spiritual children do way better than anything we've ever done. And you need to, because what we've done is clearly not enough. But God knows how to build the house, and he knows how to prepare the generation. And he knew how to prepare Solomon by giving him a father like David. And everything was prepared. So it doesn't matter if you're young and inexperienced because you know what? God actually always thinks generationally. And the funny thing is that as you get older, you sort of start to feel, okay, now I'm, I'm really starting to get this. I'm, my knowledge is increasing. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, you're facing eternity. Because God doesn't actually need all our knowledge. He just needs our hearts that are desiring to serve him. And he thinks generationally. You know, I love there's a story. You could, might just write this scripture down and look it up later. But Genesis 25, verses 21 through to 23. And it talks about Rebecca, how she was pregnant. And it says that the, the children, she was pregnant with those twins. And they struggled within her. And, and she actually said to the Lord, what's going on here? She wanted to know why they were struggling within her. She knew she was having twins. And the Lord said to her, so I, I love the fact that she asked and he actually answered it's kind of that simple. But, you know, she said, what's going on here? Why are these babies doing this? And he said, well, two nations are in your womb. And two peoples will be separated from your body. And one people will be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. See, where she saw just children, and she saw the dirty nappies, and the late nights, and the sleepless nights, and she saw all of that. God didn't see any of that. He zoomed out, and he saw nations. She saw children, but he saw two nations. 
You see, so God always thinks generationally. He's always thinking for what's coming. He already knows the beginning from the end. He already knows how the story ends. Nothing surprises God. We were all born at this particular point in history for a very specific reason. We were born in our season, but we're getting older. We might be gone by our 90s. But then you guys will be coming up and you'll be about our age and you'll be, you'll be preparing. If Jesus hasn't already returned, you'll be handing over to another generation. Nothing is for us to hold on to. We have to open, hold everything with an open hand. And we're merely channels for God. We're merely, we're merely there ready for God to flow through so that we can pour out and be responsible with what we've got to give to you. And then the rest is seriously between you and God. But it's an exciting season because there is a sense that God is doing something fresh and something new. So there's going to be a commissioning of the next generation to truly be those vessels of honor that we've talked about in God's house. And like we said right at the very beginning of our series many couple of months ago now, that the, the, uh, what is necessary for every generation is that anointing oil. Remember we talked about the recipe of the anointing oil. We talked about the principle of that, that it had to be one of the criteria was that it has to be fresh and made for every generation. You can't just live off of the anointing of the generation before you. And so there has to be a fresh anointing. And, and uh, so next week, like I've been saying, we're going to have our anointing service and it will involve the laying on of hands uh, because we're so serious about releasing people to be used supernaturally by God. If we're, we're building and we're part of our spiritual kingdom, then clearly we're spiritual people and therefore we have to use spiritual principles. And laying on of hands and receiving something from God and transferring the anointing to you guys is a very spiritual principle. And it all happens in the context of the house of God in the corporate anointing. I love another aspect of God, how he speaks and he thinks generationally. You know, and in the context of how I spoke a couple of weeks ago about believing for the stolen generation to, to be called back into serving in God. You know, 2 Timothy 1, 5 says this, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. For this reason, I remind you. Hear the responsibility there? Yes, you've had a faith handed down to you. Yes, your grandmother had it. She's talked to your mother, and then your mother's talked to you, and you've received it, and you've believed it. But now I remind you, Timothy, to kindle afresh. You have to do this. You have to stir up, another version says. Kindle afresh or stir up the gift of God, which is in you, how? Through the laying on of my hands. So here's this principle we see. For God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power, love, and discipline, or a sound mind. So every generation receives something we can receive it generationally from the people before us, but every single generation has to be responsible to stir up the gift of God in them as well and walk in the fresh anointing. So some of us here might need a fresh and a new impartation next week, or some of us might need to just kindle afresh what God is wanting to do, yeah? And of course, next year we've got DMS in 2020, and DMS is part of that whole stirring up the gifting of God and being trained and being released as ministers. So I want to encourage everyone, start praying about, about taking time off work and coming. Start praying about who you can invite. You might even know people from overseas who can come 
and just stay here for a week and of course the rest is done online. We've tried to make it as easy as possible. But let's position ourselves to be in, in that place where God can just speak to us and use us powerfully. I mean, I'm, of course he's already using us. But let's ask God for what is next for our lives. All right, so in the Bible, we can see that there are so many different ways to receive the anointing from Jesus. So how did the ordinary person get this anointing from Jesus? You know, it's, we have to go back to the, to the Word of God to see, all right, how did the ordinary person that was living life receive something from Jesus? Well, of course, number one, it's through the anointed Word. You know, he would preach and the... The Word of God itself is anointed because Jesus says His words are spirit and they are life. talks about in Luke 4.32 how they were amazed at His teaching for His message was with authority. Hebrews 4.12 says the Word of God is living and is active and is sharper than any two-edged sword and is able to divide soul and spirit and it judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. In other words, it separates our soulish natural way of thinking from what the Holy Spirit is saying in our spirit. So this is the, the power that is on the Word of God. Jeremiah 1.12, I love this one. For I am watching, I being God, I am watching over my Word to perform it. And in fact, in Isaiah 55.11, it says, The Word of God will not return void, but it shall accomplish that for which it was sent. That's how powerful the Word of God is. And of course, we know from Mark 4, the, the parable of the sower, that the seed is the Word of God. And we know that 1 Peter 1.23 says that we've been born again by an incorruptible seed. He is the author and the developer of our faith. So even our faith comes from the author of our faith, who is Jesus. Everything we need is from Jesus. So he is the word made flesh. So his word, whatever he says, it breathes life in us. So we can receive power from him. And of course, there's faith in that word. You know, Romans 10 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing from the Word of God. When you speak it out, not only are you thinking about it, not only are you reading it and seeing it through your eyes, but you're hearing it through your ears as well. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word. You know, the Roman centurion said, just speak the Word, and I know that what you need to see happen will actually happen. We can be saved and healed and delivered just listening to the Word of God. So... Absolutely, through the anointed word. But then there's another way that we can receive the power of God and the anointing that is from Jesus. And that is through the transference of power, <clears throat> through the laying on of hands. And when you read through the Gospels, you can see that people receive by drawing the anointing from Jesus' touch. In Mark 5, you can just write the scripture down, Mark 5, 25 to 34, it's the story of the woman with the issue of blood. And she said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment... She knew what that meant. She knew the significance of the hem of his garment, which we won't go into now. She knew that if she touched him, something would be released from him. She understood that somehow being in touch and being in contact with Jesus was going to do something for her. And of course, a tangible power, the Bible tells us, went out of Jesus. And that, that, that power, that word is actually virtue or dunamis, which is where we get our word dynamite. So we're talking about a powerful kind of power. A dynamic power went out of Jesus. It wasn't, you know, there would have been so many people brushing up against him and touching him and needing him, but this was done with faith. You see, it's all about the intention of our hearts. And she wanted something from Jesus. And so she 
touched his garment, believing. He wasn't probably even looking at her. In fact, he's turned around and said, who just touched me? Because he knew something had left him. And in the previous verses of Mark 5, starting from verse 21, it says that Jairus also was a guy, a local guy, and he, he wanted Jesus to come and lay hands on his daughter. So if you look, you can start to look through the Gospels and you start to realize that there was this kind of understanding. In the, in the Bible times, they seemed to understand the laying hands on people, it was part of their cultural background. It was part of their belief system. And so they knew that there was something powerful that would happen if, if hands, were laid, hands were laid on them. In fact, in fact, Hebrews 6 verse 1 says this, Therefore let us leave the elementary teachings or the doctrine about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God. Now these are all basic doctrines, by the way. They're foundation, they're elementary. Uh, Number two, verse two, instruction about baptisms. Notice that's plural. The laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Now, the writer of Hebrews is telling us here that these are elementary doctrines. These are foundational, basic teachings. So it's clearly part of their foundational background and understanding of what had happened through Israel. All right, so let's look really quickly in the Old Testament, I want to build something here because next week we are going to be laying hands. We're not laying hands on anyone today, but I want to build your faith and I want to build an understanding of what it means for you and I, all right? In the Old Testament, you could see that uh, there were many times that they would lay hands. And once you start to see the scriptures, you realize it all went back to the intention of the person giving and also the intention of the person receiving. So number one, it was under the Levitical system for the sacrificial offerings. So every time there was some form of sacrifice, be it the consecration or ordination of the priesthood by Moses to Aaron and his sons, you know, you start to read through Leviticus 8 and you realize Moses was going to town with the oil. He was pouring oil on the utensils in the, in the tabernacles. He, he was pouring oil on the people, on the rams, on, the, on everything. He just was having a blast with oil. And, uh, but it says in Leviticus 8 verse 12 that he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. Now it says he poured it. That was probably a lot of oil. Now I'm tossing up, do I pour next week or do I just dab? <laughs> just be nice to me between now and next Sunday, okay? Anything could happen. Wear oil-proof clothes to church, maybe. So we saw that the consecration, the ordination as a, as a, as a, into the priesthood, very important. But then we also see that Aaron had to lay hands on, on, a, on a bull because of the sin offering. So we see that in Exodus 29.10 and Leviticus as well. So there were instructions on how to do it and then it tells us about the ceremony. And it says, Aaron and his sons laid hands on the head of the bull of the sin offering. Then there were other opportunities for uh, offerings to be given, sacrificial offerings. There was a burnt offering and that was done by an individual, by a man himself to make atonement on his own behalf. And it says that the man shall put his hand on the, on the, on the sacrifice. And that was all for him personally. That's in Leviticus 1 verse 4. A lot of these things throughout Leviticus, you can read about it. There were peace offerings, where there was to lay hands on the head of his offering. And then there were sin offerings for the individuals and for all. And there were some times in Leviticus where the elders of the congregation would lay their hands 
on the offering. And then other times the offender himself would lay his hand on the head of the sin offering that he was giving for himself. So it's very specific. And when you see how God presents it through the word of God, it's so specific. In fact, in Leviticus 16, 21 and 22, it says, He, Aaron, who is now the high priest, is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their transgressions in regard to their sins, and he shall lay them or put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the desert in the care of a man appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all of their sins. This is all of Israel. This is for the, for the sins of Israel. This is what Aaron had to do. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a solitary place, and the man shall release it in the desert or in the wilderness. And, you know, when you read up about it, it says that the confession of Aaron had to be as particular and specific as possible. Now, remember, God already knows everything. He already knows what we've done before we even tell him. So he's looking for our faith in our words of our confession. And so you see that principle here. Now, isn't it interesting that it's a goat? Now, you, you realize where we get our terminology being a scapegoat comes from. A scapegoat is a person who's blamed for wrongdoings, mistakes, or faults of others. And in this particular principle here, it was the goat that received every single bit of the, of the blame of the sins of all of Israel. And so this is where we see the, the, the beginning of the, the picture and the, the, the prophetic picture of what Jesus was going to do for us ultimately on the cross. He became the ultimate scapegoat. He took everything for you and I. So we see it for that. We see it also, number two, for judgment. And um, Leviticus 24, 13, it says, uh, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring the one who is cursed outside the camp, and let all who heard him lay their hands on his head. And then the next bit's a bit scary. It says, And let all the congregation stone him. However, this is Old Testament. But that's what they had to do. They had to lay hands on the head, so the congregation needed to do it. Next one, for a generational blessing. We see Jacob to his grandchildren with Ephraim and Manasseh. And that's really interesting because you see the, the clear importance that is placed on this principle of laying hands on people. Because as, as their father brought them to, to Israel to lay his hands on them, basically... He changed hands. It says here in Genesis 48, 14 to 16, it says this, but Israel reached out his right hand, which is significant. I'll explain to you why that's significant as far as its importance, because it meant that the right hand had to go on to the older one to have the greater blessing. It was the privilege of the firstborn. So Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head though he was the younger, and crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly upon the earth. So here we see Israel is literally pouring out a blessing on the, on the next generation, but it wasn't just like, oh, come here, kids. Let me, just put my, let me just gather around. Just let me put my hand on you. No, it was very, very deliberate. 
And you start to read throughout the Old Testament and you'll see many, many moments exactly like this. There is something very specific. We don't even hear about this kind of stuff nowadays. In 21st century church, do we hear much about the teaching of the laying on of hands? I don't think so. I think this is something that God wants to restore in our hearts and in our understanding because it's part of the elementary doctrine of Christ. It's foundational. So for us to go into next week to have hands laid on us is pretty exciting when we begin to understand the power that is in this. It's pretty, it's pretty exciting, pretty amazing. So then we see another one. I think I'm up to number four. Am I lost track? In the Old Testament, we see for the commissioning and prophetic impartation. And we see it for authority, honor, and for the spirit of wisdom. And it kind of tickles me to realize that honor can be imparted by the, the, by the spirit of God. And yet what we see nowadays in 21st century church is it's demanded. Honor is actually demanded. I don't think God ever intended for us leaders, us pastors, to demand honor from the people following us. Yeah, I think we need, to, we need to learn to receive that from the Spirit of God and humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. But if you look in, in um, Numbers 8 verse 10, write that one down. The nation of Israel was commanded to assemble. And then it says that the sons of Israel shall lay their hands on the Levites. So this is when the Levitical tribe was going to be released and ordained. And so they laid, all the, the whole nation, it says, laid hands on the Levites. They, this was the tribe that was set apart to work for God. In Numbers 27, 18 to 23, I love this one. It says, So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Make him stand before Eleazar the priest and the entire assembly and commission him in their presence. There you go, there's that word commission. Remember, commissioning comes with the anointing. Something happens. And of course, also realize he's receiving this prophetically. Moses is actually hearing this from God. And it says, give him some of your authority and your honor, the King James says as well. So he's asking, instead of it coming directly from God, like God could have done this. God could have given this directly to Joshua. But he's actually saying to Moses, I want you to make him stand, gather him there, lay your hands on him. I want you to gather him properly before the priest, do it all in order, commission him in their presence. Remember the corporate anointing, there's something powerful about that. And then I want you to give him your, some of your authority and your honor so that the whole Israelite community will obey him. Wow. These are spiritual giftings that God gives to us. He is to stand before Eliezer the priest who will obtain decisions for him by inquiring of the Urim before the Lord. At his command, he and the entire community of the Israelites will go out. And at his command, they will come in. So basically, God anointed this guy via Moses so that the nation would actually listen to him and obey him. Isn't that amazing? It's a spiritual gift. Authority, honor, leadership. This come from the Holy Spirit. We think we're so hot and so cool and so great as leaders. Wow. I don't think so. I think the more we get out of the way and we let the Holy Spirit take over, the more we'll recognize what true spiritual leadership really looks like. We want to kind of, you know, puff our chests out and, you know, strong arm other people out of the way and prove that we're the leader and we're the boss and we're the ones, we're the, we're the, we're the gifted one. 
And yet, you know, we, we, our job is not to demand honor from people. We don't demand honor from you guys. We would rather you guys honor the word of God. Because when you honor the word of God, then we will all honor one another. Yeah? And that's what it truly looks like. So he says, I want you to do this so that at his command they will come in. Verse 22, Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua, made him stand before Eleazar the priest and the whole assembly. Then he laid his hands on him and commissioned him. Now remember, it's about the intention of the heart. He's not laying hands on a sin offering. He's not laying hands on a, on, a, on a peace offering. He's not judging someone. He's not doing any of that. He's now, he's not giving a generational blessing. He's now commissioning him as the Lord instructed through Moses. And then we read in Deuteronomy 34 verse 9, it says, Now Joshua, son of Nun, so we, we hear the result now of what happened to this guy. It says, the son of Nun was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. Guys, this is incredible. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Wow. See, God knew that this rebellious, stubborn bunch of people were actually going to, if they had a problem with Moses, they're definitely going to have a problem with delegated authority. So God knew that he needed to enhance and anoint this delegated authority so that the people would listen and would obey and would follow because he was doing it for their sake. And so it's very powerful. So in conclusion for the Old Testament, we see that the Israelites laid hands for their sacrificial offerings, number one, number two, for judgment, number three, for the blessings for generations, and number four, for the commissioning with prophetically inspired impartation. Isn't that amazing? God was specific. He said, I want you to give him your authority. I want you to give him your honor. And then we read that a spirit of wisdom was upon him. Every now and then I find myself when I'm prophesying over different people, I, I, I hear myself saying, and Lord, the mantle that is on me, I pray it onto this particular person. Now that's a big thing for me to do because I can't afford to get that wrong especially if I'm in another church and I don't know the people and I'm completely sub subject to the leadership of that place when I'm doing prophetic presbytery somewhere. However, there will be times when I sense that the mantle that is on me, God wants to place on someone else. And I don't do that lightly. You know, before Kevin Connor died, you know, we used to go over there all the time and speak with him. And I said, Kevin, I want you to lay hands on me and I want you to impart your mantle to me. Now, he didn't have to do that but bless his heart, he did. It was about a year and a half, two years ago. It was amazing. And I got down on my knees and he stood there. He could barely talk. He was so frail. And he laid hands on me in his living room with his wife and Brown were there. And he prayed for that, that, that anointing. And um, I, I want to have the understanding of the word of God that he had. I want, I crave that. That was the desire of my heart. Lord, give me wisdom and, and understanding in the truths of the word of God. I want you to open up the, the, the books of wisdom so that I can understand. And so that's why I went with that intention and I asked with that intention. And so I don't take that lightly. You know, the rest is up to God. It's really interesting when I look back over the years and see the different people that, that God has led to lay hands on Brahma and I, but we'll talk about that probably next week. Let's get on with this now. We've seen with the Old Testament. Now let's look really briefly and we'll finish this off next week. But in the New Testament, how do we see the principle of laying on of hands? How did it operate? 
clearly they didn't have to do sin offerings anymore. So there were no bulls or goats or anything around that they needed to lay hands on. They didn't have to lay hands on peace offerings anymore. They didn't have to make atonement for themselves with sin offerings anymore. They certainly didn't have to lay hands on anyone for the area of judgment because all judgment had now gone on to Jesus. He'd taken everything. He'd become, he's become the scapegoat for us for everything. So what happened in the New Testament? All right, healing, number one. There was a tangible flow to a person with healing. And of course, we know so many of the stories. If we're reading the Gospels, we understand. But Jesus laid hands on people for healing. Let me, I'll just throw some scriptures at you. You can write them down. Otherwise, go back to the podcast and listen. But for the sake of the podcast, let me just say, Luke 4.40, it says, um, When the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each of them, he healed them. There are so many scriptures. Matthew 8, verse 3, uh, 8, uh, 15, 9, 29 to 30. He put forth his hand. He touched her hand. He touched their eyes. You, you just start reading through the, the Gospels. You'll see one after the other. Once you start to look for this, it will stand out. It'll be everywhere. And like I said before, the, the, the Israelites seem to understand. That's why they would say, come and lay hands on my daughter that she may be healed. And it says, Jesus said in Mark 5, it says, sorry, in Mark 5, 41 to 42, he took the girl by the hand. That's laying on of hands. He took her by the hand and straight away she arose and she walked. There's power in this. There is power in this. Every time I lay hands on someone, all I've got is a hand. I don't feel anything, I don't, whatever, but I am very aware that by the faith that I release and the intention of my heart, anything can happen. And I've seen many amazing things happen when our faith is released. What about in Mark 6 verse 5, it says, in his hometown there were no great miracles, but he laid hands on them and he healed them. See, they might not have believed him and who he really was, but they did understand the principle of laying on of hands. So that's kind of default mode. A blind man, Mark 8, 23, Jesus spit and he laid hands on him. With lepers in Luke 5, 13, and Luke 13, 13, he laid hands on them and they were healed. With the servant of the high priest who had his, his uh, ear cut off, Luke 22, 50, 51, it says, Jesus touched his ear and he healed him. Wow, it's, it's everywhere. And then, of course, we see the disciples extended this ministry of Jesus by the laying on of hands. In Acts 5.12, it says, Through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. Acts 14.3, it says, Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Paul then laid hands on the sick, remember? In Acts chapter 5, when many signs and wonders are being done by the people, Paul's still going around killing the Christians who are, who are doing the signs and wonders through their hands. And yet here he is now. We see in Acts chapter 19, this guy has got saved. He's been baptized in the Holy Spirit, baptized in water. And now he is doing exactly the same thing. You see, it's got nothing to do with who you were before. And it's actually got nothing to do with who you are now. It's got everything to do with who is on the inside and who is clothing you and I now. 
And so it says in Acts chapter 19, verses 11 to 12, now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. Wow, that's pretty amazing. Okay, so we've looked at the disciples, looked at Jesus, we've looked at the disciples, we've looked at Paul, and also we see that the church is to continue in the impartation of divine healing through the laying on of hands. That's why Mark 6, 16, 18 says, they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And that's why every week we get you guys to stand up. There are different ways we can receive healing. Yes, there is the, the James way where you can you know, call on the elders of the church, which is you releasing your faith, and they will anoint you with oil, and they, they will anoint you with oil, and the prayer of faith will heal you. There's all of that. There's faith on both sides. But then there's also another provision which says lay hands on the sick, and that's open for any believer, for any disciple. Lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. It's James 5 that I was quoting before, 14 and 15. See, the Holy Spirit wants to use any way, shape possible that he can to touch his people, to let people know that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is alive. And James 5, 14, 15 says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil. Remember, there's nothing powerful about the oil per se. But the Holy Spirit is using the symbol of his being, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. It's powerful. All right, what else do we see in the church? The baptism of the Holy Spirit. When, when Paul, who had been this murderer, when he got saved, a guy called Ananias, not to be confused with Ananias and Sapphira, in, in Acts chapter 5, but this guy called Ananias, it says in Acts 9, 17, that he put his hands on Paul. And when that happened, he was filled with the Holy Spirit because he said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts 19, Paul then prayed for the disciples at Ephesus and he laid his hands on them. And it says that the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and they prophesied. Acts 8, 17 Peter and John were talking to believers and it says they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So you see throughout the book of Acts, you see the principle of the laying on of hands also, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then the last one is the impartation of blessing. You see there are different, different aspects also. The hands are the same, but the intent is different. The person is the same, but what they're needing might be different. You can have healing, you can have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then there's the impartation of blessing. You know, Jesus called the children to him, and it says in Matthew 19, 30 to 15, let them come to me, don't forbid them, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And then it says he laid his hand on them. He wasn't just being a nice guy. He was specifically imparting something to these kids. You know, I do that a lot with kids. As I'm cuddling them, as I'm holding them, I'm praying a blessing over them. I'm saying, Lord, bless them. Let this child do great things for you. In Acts 6, verse 6, you see that the apostles laid hands on the deacons. In Acts 13, verse 3, we read this last week, I think it might have been, where we see the, the prophets and the teachers were gathered together and they laid hands on Barnabas and Saul, who then became Paul. 
because the Holy Spirit said, release to me Saul and Barnabas for the work of service, for the work of ministry. So we see what's the conclusion for the New Testament. So the New Testament is that hands are to be laid on the sick for healing, number one. Number two, hands are to be laid on for the conferring or the impartation of the Holy Spirit. And of course, that's not the only way. You know, some people get baptized in the Holy Spirit on their own when they're driving the car or in their house as they're praying. You know, I've seen mass baptisms of the Holy Spirit of, of about 2,000 people I prayed for. That's probably the largest crowd I've prayed for at once. And I wasn't able to lay hands on any of them. And they all started praying in tongues. Now, I don't know whether every single one of them got it, but they certainly didn't stop singing in the Spirit for about 30 minutes. It was the most amazing moment. It was in Indonesia. So it's not always the case, but there is definitely, more often than not, there is the laying on of hands for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, hands to be laid on in blessing. And the fourth one, and this is what we're going to look at next week as we go into the laying on of hands and anointing service. We're going to see hands that are to be laid on people in conjunction with prophecy for establishing believers and ministries. And that's what we want to focus on next week. I'm praying. I hope you're praying. I'm expecting that God is going to speak to you. Let's not expect something big and dramatic. We don't have to create something. We don't have to drum something up. It's not about creating some sort of hyper kind of atmosphere. The Word of God is all we need, and faith in that Word, and the Holy Spirit, and in His willing vessels. I'm a willing vessel. Brahm's a willing vessel to lay hands on you guys with oil and just pray. But you also have to come with your faith. I want you praying and asking God this week. I want you saying, God, I want you to speak to me. Now, you might not get a prophetic word from Brahm or myself. That might not happen. But God will still speak to you. I know he will. But definitely he will impart something to you. So can I ask you to be preparing yourselves? Because God wants to do something. It's time. We're going into next decade, next year, uh, ready. And ready to do what God has for us to do. I'm going to ask the music team to come on up. And uh, maybe we could do, what do you think, Agnes Day? I think that would be great. It's an awesome song. Let's, let's finish by really, really... exalting his name but this week I want there to be prayer I want you to be anticipating pull yourselves out of the doldrums or the rut of, of normal existence and recognize that there is a spiritual kingdom that God actually invites you and I to be part of and to participate in now you know there are many different ways that we can serve God not everyone is going to be anointed to do platform ministry That's absolutely for certain. But we're all called to do the work of ministry. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says that. All of us, as the saints of God, that might just be in your normal workplace. It might just be as a mum at your local community centre or with your local mums group. You might just be working a normal job until the day you die and raising a family. That's got nothing to do with the power of ministry. Because in all of those situations, we need the anointing of God. Yeah? This isn't about being anointed to be up behind a pulpit with a microphone. No, 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 no. It's exactly the opposite. It's to be anointed so you can be commissioned for where you are. For where you are in the world right now, what God has got you doing. Come on, guys. Who's ready? Who's ready? Let's just stand. Let's just worship the Lord.